Hey, my name is Sheldon March. Welcome to Wild. Hey guys, what's happening? It's me. I'm back again. Number three. Uh, welcome to the third episode of Wild. And today is a very special day because I am here with the front man of my brand new band. And his name is Liam. G'day, everybody. Thanks for having me, Sheldon. Of course, man. So uh, there's actually not a lot of people know that I'm in a band. I talked to a couple of people back home and I mentioned that I'm in a band. They go, oh, that's so cool. And I'm starting to realize that it's pretty freaking sweet to be in a band, Doug. Now, Liam is pretty uh, Liam is pretty cool. He's been in a band or in a handful of bands for a number of years, right? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was in a music school. I graduated out of music school. And then from there, I've been trying things since I was about 16 or 17 to different levels of success. <laughs> some never get off the ground. Um, some, you know, you get to that gig level. So yeah, I've been in things here and there. So, so you went to, you went, when you say a music school, is this a music school as a replacement for high school or was this a, a, a post high school music school? It's a replacement for high school. So I hated school with such a passion when I was in year 10. Like if I didn't change schools or go to something different, I probably would have just dropped out entirely. It just, I wasn't in a good place. But one thing that I did really love at that time was music, especially playing music. Now, not from like a classical background. So I was initially a little bit lost because every school that I saw was more of like a classical background. If you play the double bass or cello really well, or you sang opera and then, or jazz. Jazz was the other thing. And I, I don't listen to jazz. I've never played jazz. I don't like jazz. So... I found this one school that was more about the industry of music. So they, instead of co-curricular, instead of AFL or basketball, their co-curricular was running a music blog or running a music podcast. That's cool as hell. bands, going to see gigs, even running a record label was, I mean, actually signed real bands. And all the assignments were about music as well. So the maths assignment was budgeting for a tour. Or English was writing a feature article about a band that changed the world. So only because of that school is the reason I graduated. And then from there, music's never really left my life. I've always dabbled. You know, Even if I take a break for six months or a year, I always come back. That's cool as hell, man. I, like, I, I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit about this music school. It sounds like, have you ever seen Sky High? That, that, it's, a, it's a movie about a school for superheroes. Yeah, yeah, where I it's, see that, yeah. Where it's, just, it's, like, <laughs> it's like a normal high school, except the curriculum has just totally, it's totally evolved and it's centered around something completely different. To have that for music, that sounds yeah. incredible. I've, yeah. I've never heard about something like that. Oh, it's, it's new. It only started in, at that time, it was only a few years old. So how old were you when you went there versus when you graduated or when you left? It's only years 11 and 12, which is in Australia, 16 and 17 years old. Now, okay, so the only problem that I can imagine with doing something like that is that it sort of forces you post-graduation to do something in a musical spectrum. Because if I had to, if I had to try and make a success out of music and it doesn't work out and I then try and go to a varsity and I, or a university mm. and I go, hey, can I study... Uh, architecture they're gonna go no sorry you had a musical 
year for your yeah. last two years. It's we don't recognize it the same way. Is that true? Was that bullshit? Um, if I look at other students in my cohort. I'm probably the one that's got the least to do with music, even though I'm in a band and still play. Other people are more ingrained in the industry. So a friend of mine does sound design. That's what he does professionally. Another one does cinematography for music videos and things like that. That's cool. Uh, Does he make good money? No. (laughs) (laughs) Per project he does. But he's. Good. I think he works at the Apple Store or something like that. As Sounds well. like me. Yeah, yeah. I used to work at an Apple Store. Yeah, I told you about that. Do you I? get discounts on iPhones? Not at all. I used to have people ask me back home. They would they would come in and they'd say, "Oh, I'd be friends with them," and they go, "Oh, Sheldon, can you get me an iPhone for free?" <laughs> Are you mad? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But no, I I I bought this MacBook. Actually, my grandpa bought me this one, and I had to pay full price. I paid cash. Not to pay full price. So, uh, no, you don't get any discount. My MacBook's on its last legs. It's like, whenever I plug it in, that's that's the first thing that's wrong with it. It only works if you plug it in. And then, every time you turn it on, it literally sounds like it's about to launch off your desk. Like <laughs> and I've just got Word open. <laughs> I always kind of liken it to, like, um, the smoker big fat woman when you're in back in school and like the tuck shop or the or the admin office so you, what do you want love oh, hang on there <laughs> <laughs> we go get that for you hang on because every time you want to try open something it takes like 10-15 minutes whereas on the new one Spotify bang open what song do you want bro yeah I whereas know. this one is like hang on love what's this new thing oh Spotify I'll go check it at the back oh, here we on. got it somewhere oh, let me go get that for you <laughs> It's endearing, though. I I mean, I don't want to go on about it too much, but how old is it? It's it's from 2012, but in computer years, that's that's like like ancient history. 100%. I mean, mine's from 2015, Mm. and it's already... If I... I, Like, I use a new one for work, and the differences in it, man. If I I use this one, I just feel like an old person using one of those ancient PCs, and it's four years old. 100%, man. But I think that is an amazing thing to have happen to you to be able to sort of revolve yourself around that the reason i asked about the guy with the cinematography is because i try to do that mm. now when i try to do that i i tell you what man i pushed did i ever show you my my festival photography and my band photography yeah i've seen some of your live stuff yeah. i think i sent that to you when we first got in touch so i pushed it so hard man i used to phone uh, concert venues and mm. I used to pretend to be a manager and I should just say listen oh, listen man I need to get in touch with the publisher right now I need to, somebody to, to take photos so can I please and they would it would just get door shut in your face and I'd, I'd offer to work for free and eventually I got these cool gigs where I, I could work with these bands uh, bands that I really loved back in South Africa I, mm. I took photos for them for free while they were performing so they had no obligation to even keep in touch with me and the photos came out really well. What I actually did is in an incentive to try and get repeated business, I sent them these photos with my watermark in the side. And what they would do is yeah. when they posted them on their social medias, they just cut my name off. Uh. Always. So God bless them. I still felt really grateful to be able to do that. There was this one photographer back home. His name was Andre. Andre. But we say it. Andre. I can't remember his surname. But he, he is the most talented photographer I've ever met. I took him out, like I phoned him and I, and I begged him. I said, listen, please, man, can I just come and shadow you? 
please, is there any chance that I, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want you to hire me. Can I just come and shadow you? And I shadowed him for like one or two shoots. Um, I met up with him on the day of my birthday when I was 21, the day I turned 21. And I was so nervous to see him. I didn't eat anything the night before. I didn't eat anything that morning. And we sat at this restaurant and this guy, this dude drinks like a fish. And he bought me about three beers and two tequila shots. Oh, I was man. hammered, man. I had to, stomach. Yeah, I had to drive. I had to drive home and I felt so sick. Anyway, I just never got anywhere with it. And I just realized how absolutely incredibly difficult it is yeah. to make a name for yourself in the creative field, specifically from a cinematography or photography oh, perspective. Oh, man. Uh, same thing goes. So my job at the school was the to run the blog. So when I took it over, it was like some abandoned WordPress account, which had just, no one read it. But I was into writing at the time and I did the exact same thing you did. I used to ring venues and pretend like I was older because they didn't realize we were 16 years old when we dealt with these, some of the biggest record labels in Australia. That's cool. And so I used to put on a deeper voice and say, and sneak my way backstage to try and, you know, snag an interview with some of Australia's biggest bands to try and just get our name out there. Nice man. I, I, I do want to ask you a little bit about your history. Before yeah. I do that, I wanted to mention one thing. So where I studied, I studied in a creative uh, school. I studied at a film school back home and it was supposed to be this really prestigious film school and it was good. I mean, by South African standards, it was good. By world standards, it was crap. But one of the things that they did as well is you could go and study music there. And what they did is they prepared you for a life as a popular musician. You used to have classes about how to handle fans, oh. how to handle groupies, and shit like that. Genuinely, they wow. had classes around that. And uh, nobody in that school ever made it. I think there was one girl. Mm. One girl, I don't remember her name. She was an African girl, and she graduated in like 2012. 2013 and she got it she made it pretty big i got no idea who she is because i didn't listen to her style of music but she made it really big but they were pumping out let's say a hundred music students wow. every year per campus four campuses 400 a year the most prestigious music school in south africa it was a three-year bachelor's degree in music production three year every da -da -da -da, and not a single one of them made it mm. among thousands except the one it's so hard, man. Yeah. I mean, the music would probably be one of the... And acting would probably be the most difficult thing to even just get a foothold. And maybe the art world, where I think anything creative, I think it's such a necessity to society. But to do it professionally, it's just... Especially these days. Yeah. It just gets more and more difficult when the access to... I mean, it's, it's a, a positive on one hand because it does you know, take zero dollars to start your social media. It takes zero dollars to, you know, start getting your name out there. But the problem with that is that everyone can do it. So you, your stuff has, you, it has to be fantastic in every single aspect, not just the creation of it, but the marketing of it. Um, and for people that are usually running a one-man band, it's a massive workload when... It usually brings in zero dollars for at least a few years. That's it. You have got, you have hit the nail on the head, man. Most of the people that I knew from a local perspective where I came from that made it in some regard. Of course, you're going to have a few exceptions, but most of them 
had the financial freedom and the financial mm. responsibility to keep on grinding, to keep yeah. on pushing. So they were just as talented as this guy, but this guy, he had to move out. He had to find a job because he had to start paying his own rent. Yeah. And these people, they had, like, I can, I can, I can name names of people that I studied with who had rich and wealthy parents who just kept on funneling, who just kept on funneling, funneling their dreams. And eventually they got to a point where they had established themselves for, and then they started making money just as anybody would if they had the financial freedom to be able to do that. So I think it's so one-sided sometimes is, uh, you are so right. You need to be able to do something really well. You need to know how to market yourself, but you also need that financial freedom yeah. to be able to keep on going until it happens. I'm not expecting anything from our band until we've been together consistently for at least five years. And I say five years because that's how long the Beatles took. <laughs> they got together in 58, but they only recorded Love Me Do in 62. Damn. So for them, the biggest band in human history, they took five years. Yeah. So that's my kind of benchmark for having a consistent lineup with a full set of original songs and just grinding every single day. They went to Hamburg and they played like eight hours of live music every single night. I uh, I started reading a little bit about Ringo Starr. I think I'm going to do, uh, not Ringo Starr, Pete Best. You yeah. Know, you know who Pete Best was? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'm going to do an episode about Pete Best eventually because it's so, dude, imagine that, hey? Imagine, and he got kicked out of the band too. He didn't leave. He mm. got kicked out of the band and then within three months or something, the Beatles just skyrocket and they become, as you say, the biggest band in history. It's always interesting when, because you, you think, like I've gone through some lineup changes in bands before, and obviously you don't want to do that. It's like a breakup when someone gets kicked out of the band. It's never nice, but I can respect why they did that to Pete and why they got Ringo in, because when you do get someone to fill in, or you have an audition out of the blue, and they're a million times better and it just clicks in and suddenly it all sounds right. You think, man, for the sake of the music, we've got to do everything we can to make this the lineup. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I, I guess that that's one of the insecurities you have to live with being in a band is that you could technically yeah. be, re be replaced by somebody who's better than you at any moment. Have you ever seen that movie, The Rocker, with uh, Rain oh. Wilson? No, no, I haven't got around to watching it. Dude, it's, it's exactly how you are saying it now. Mm. One of the incense, there was just, just like these four guys in a band and this guy's the drummer and the band is about to make it big. And then the, the manager comes to them and is like, listen, we've got a label who's willing to sign you. They're going to make you huge, but you've got to kick the drummer out because they want his cousin in the band. Are you guys going to do it? And I'm sure there's been instances of much like that happening. Mm. So I think that's 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 one thing. I've even thought about it myself. And I've only been in the band now for three months. I just think to myself, oh my God, two months. What? Two months? Uh, one month. But it's been one month, right? Yeah. Yeah. I joined on the... 20, just before Christmas. 23rd of December of 2020. I, was, I just think to myself, like, oh my gosh, are they going to replace me? <laughs> so uh, yeah, that is something. I wanted to mention one thing just before we got into this. Um, in regards to the art, music, and actor, yeah, how you mentioned that those are three of the hardest industries to really crack into. I know of two actors that I studied with that were both in my year, both of which have been in short films that I shot that have committed suicide. And the, oh. reason, the reason for that yeah. is because they just couldn't make a living out of being an actor. And the, the, the reason that I think being an actor is so hard as well 
is because if you get rejected for something and you just can't make it work, it's not a case of it's your craft or it's your output that's being judged. It's you as an individual. Mm. So you need to handle rejection from a first-person perspective. If I go to a company with my cinematography showreel and I say, listen, this is what I've shot in the last three years, and they go, eh, no, it's shit. We don't like it. Piss off. And I go, okay, thanks. You know, I look at my work and I go, oh, it's my work. That's not good. Mm. But if you're an actor, that's your face. That's your body. That's your mannerisms. That's your personality and your brain that's being rejected time and time and time again. Shame this poor dude. He jumped off of a water tower. Do you know what a water tower is? I don't know if you guys have that here. Like a rainwater? No. Maybe. I don't even know what a water tower (laughs) is. I've just seen them. But it's this really tall infrastructure that's supposed to have water in the the top of it. But I don't know why it's so tall. But this thing, it was um, was like 200 meters high. Man. Maybe not that much. I can't remember, actually. But It's such a a corrupt industry as well. Like, you just got to look at the Harvey Weinstein thing for women, especially. Like, what they have to do to get get the roles. I mean, I think probably more than music, I think acting is probably the most kind of industry where the people that probably aren't as talented but know the right people or do the certain things probably get the opportunities more than the people who are the really great actors because if you sit, have a look at the academy awards every year it's the same list of five actors every every year <laughs> and you think i mean yeah they're in the biggest films but surely there's like an up-and-coming actor who is in something great but it's just name recognition so probably acting like you said it's it's the most corrupt industry but it's also one of the most brutal as well for sure yeah man i mean as you as you say that you're not you're not expecting too much to happen from from you know all of this one of the biggest things is i just think that it's going to be an incredible amount of fun for all of oh, us yeah, definitely for sure you know? i mean there's nothing more that i've mentioned it to you before that some of the most fun times that I've had in music is in the venue before the gig's going to happen and you've rocked up the day of and you've brought the the clothes you're going to wear, you've brought your instruments, you've set up your amp on stage and then you're just chilling with your buddies backstage waiting for all the fans or the the people, (laughs) the random people that you're trying to get to come um, start filing into the venue and just that air of, it's like relaxation, but also anticipation as well. That that atmosphere is so fantastic. I probably prefer that to the gig itself, really. <laughs> you know what? I always think about what an amazing feeling that must be like. And I'm going to experience it one day. But then I think about what an amazing experience that must feel like on a massive scale. Think about, yeah. you know, I love to I love to watch concert introductions. I, I like to watch just the first song of bands like Rammstein or The Weeknd or Justin Bieber or Katy Perry or just somebody like that. Just because I know that these are behemoths in the industry mm. that are performing for 25, 30,000 people at a time. Now, all of that energy is being centralized and focused to one person. I think it must be an incredible feeling when the sun starts setting, like twilight is yeah. starting to, 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 to set on. And the, the sun is going down, the moon is rising, and you, you you pull into this venue, and you obviously you've got a 
a lot of guards around you and you're in this like isolated car and shit like that and you just look and there's thousands of people crowding into this into this venue mm. and you know that they're all there to hear your music to listen to you i just i can't even for a moment imagine what that must be like but there must <laughs> be the most incredible feeling to see a lineup of people wearing your band t-shirts or something like that i'd hope my i hope my fans are cooler than all the other fans like if we're at a festival i hope when we see niche fans walking past they're the cool people yeah that's my fan there (laughs) well yeah so we we should probably give some context as well so i play drums uh liam you can you tell them what you do i do i'm a singer and i do rhythm guitar as well cool and what's the name of the band that we're in the niche n-i-s-h so we started off as more of a brit rocky kind of band and we wanted a a name with a bit of attitude so niche in england means nothing zero nada so we kind of called the nothings or the losers basically i like it's kind of a a bit of a a british slang i like the attitude that it has so that's cool that's cool so we've got two band members as well would you like to kind of just tell us a little bit more, more a little bit more about yeah, that? Yeah, we've got another Liam. We're going to have to come up with a nickname. Yeah, we have like to. <laughs> He's on bass, and we've got um, Elliot on lead guitar as well. Yeah, you. Go, so basically, we're gonna we're gonna have them introduced at the end of this episode, just to kind of get a little bit of a sense of them. The, so this is obviously being distributed under the Wild Podcast. So this is this is pretty much going up alongside some of the episodes that I do where I'm by myself. But I just thought that I'd have to be insane to not take advantage of this. You know, we, we both have a really strong mutual passion for music. And this is a way for us to kind of just share some of our thoughts and some of our insights and just have a chat about some, some musical things. And, you know, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So I wanted to get a little bit of an idea around you. You know, I don't want to say it's going to sound kind of lame, but a little bit of an idea around your story. Maybe you mm. could just tell me how you got into the music industry, what sort of sparked your curiosity around it, etc. I think that music, I've been thinking about this a little bit, about these people that you meet where music's not a big deal for them, where they don't have favorite bands or acts and they just kind of, they barely listen to the radio and the only music they know is what's on the top 50 at the time. Yeah. I've never understood those people. I've never understood how you can't have favorite bands or favorite songs or link memories to music. To me, music's always been there. Dad and mum have always been into music and then my brother and my sister as well have always been into music massively. So music was just always around. At dinner, they would always chuck on an album. And then when I was growing up, my sister and brother were both in their teenage angst phases so they always used to blast blink 182 or lincoln park or avril lavigne at top volume and they used to compete each each other so depending on where you go in the house there's this there would be music in every room there'd be mum making dinner playing an album there'd be dad doing something in the study listening to music then mum then my brother and my sister would both be blaring music and then my brother made the transition to playing music as well so he was in a band and I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. And just, just, I used to print out tabs from Ultimate Guitar for him. And I'm like, play this. And just to hear like my favorite songs coming out of a guitar live in the room. I'm like, that is, that's how it goes. That's how it goes. You got it right. 
<laughs> just that, cool. just I found that act so cool, and that's sweet. I just thought it was the best thing in the world. So I learned guitar to begin with, acoustic guitar. So I I began with like more folksy finger picking, almost like Gaelic guitar, which is probably why I'm the rhythm guitarist, not the lead guitarist, because I'm more into like the chords and things like that. And then I always enjoyed singing you know everyone sings in the car or (laughs) sings in the shower but I did get a lot of kind of enjoyment out of that so I took the plant that was probably the I was pretty scared before my first guitar lesson but before the first singing lesson was just a whole different level of anxiety but I probably enjoyed singing more than the act of playing guitar and to me they they go hand in hand I couldn't really imagine myself up on stage just singing and I probably couldn't imagine myself up on stage just playing guitar. I feel they've always gone hand in hand. So I've tried this, I've tried that, obviously put my hand towards songwriting as well. And then it's always been a vehicle for what I'm listening to at the time and what I'm interested in and how I kind of perceive life and pop culture sounds a bit... (laughs) (laughs) sounds a bit wanky and self-indulgent, but it does kind of help with mental state, mental well-being. And music's just always been there for me. Nice, man. You know what? I, I haven't actually ever thought about what you've just said, but it makes, it just kind of like brought this, this thought into my head around people that, as you said, just don't care about music. Yeah. So Amber, is exactly that sort of person to a T. She listens to, you know, she's she, she's got a Spotify account just so that when she sometimes wants to listen to music while she gyms, most of the time she'll watch Suits or she'll watch Friends or something on Netflix. Yeah. But otherwise she'll just want to have some music on and she'll just subscribe to the top 30 songs of the day. Yeah. And I'll ask her, you know, what, what's your... What what's your favorite song of all time? That's just something that's that's changed your life. And she goes, I don't know. And I go, okay. Do you have any beautiful memories about about growing up with a specific album because it's the only one that you could afford at that time? She goes, No, of course not. What are you doing? What are you talking about? <laughs> and then I think to myself, I didn't know people like this could possibly exist mm. because music to us as a human brain to be able to interpret noises in a specific order and a specific frequency at a specific volume compared to another noise to have that translated to beautiful music it's one of the most incredible things about being a human being yeah being able to understand and appreciate music and enjoy the sound of something so you want to hear it again and enjoy the the way that the voice sounds so you want to hear it again and i i just i loved it i could never understand people like that who don't take advantage of something so simple and so full of potential, something that makes us human, yeah. and that's music. I know. I, I remember. I remember listening to to I, like the very first album that I ever got because it's it's all that I could afford, and I really wanted something else, but I couldn't afford it, so I just kept on. It was it was Green Day's American Idiot. It's 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 a pretty good album. It's not amazing, but I remember that was my first album mm. ever. I remember listening to um, a band called Angels and Airwaves, and I remember l- sitting on my bed at the age of twelve, and I just gotten my heart broken. From a girl that I that I really like. <laughs> That's Tom DeLonge's other band, isn't it? Tom who? DeLonge, the Blink One Eight Two guys. DeLong. DeLong, yeah, yeah. DeLonge, yeah. He's a French. He's That's a his other band. Yeah, that, that's his French band. <laughs> Baguette One Eighty Two. 
And the thing is, I just, I remember sitting on my bed and the sun was going down and like I had orange light streaming in through my, through my blinds and it was falling on my face and I was listening to this album and I, it just, whenever I listen to, 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 to that same album, it takes me back. Yeah. Just, just to that little moment in my life that's so insignificant to everybody else. But to me, to all who I am, it's a big pivot and it's a big pinnacle stone in that sort of memory. So to have people not appreciate music in the same way, it's so weird. I get borderline obsessive over bands. I I have like my flavor of the month, but the month goes for about three or four years where <laughs> I'll have like, and like you said, I can pinpoint my life based on what band I was in at the, into at the time. So the very first band I was ever into was Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper was the first live band I ever went to because... When my opa died, we inherited his old Nissan Patrol, which he, he was really outdoorsy, and he had this old beat-up thing. Was It drove like a tank. It had no suspension at all and had no power steering, and he travelled all around Australia on it. And we inherited that when he died, and he had stickers of all the places he'd been to. And he didn't have a, it was really old, so it didn't have a CD player or anything like that. So we had to go and find mum and dad's old cassettes so we could just have some music in the car when we went to school in the morning or wherever we went to. And one of the, they're all pretty old and pretty dingy, but we had a perfect copy of Welcome to My Nightmare, Nightmare by Alice Cooper. And that was like the first kind of concept album and... and it was so every song goes into each other and it's like a big show tuney kind of rock opera basically. Yeah. And man, we played that thing like every day on the way to school. And like, so when I was growing up, it was Alice Cooper. And then I was really into Blink-182 and um, Linkin Park. And then it was the Beatles. I discovered the Beatles when I was like 12, 13, 14. Bob Marley is always just, been there the whole time and then Rammstein was the first time because my family's German my mum's side's German so to hear the German language I and knowing that that's where my family had come from as well that started my whole journey into knowing what is Germany why did we come to Australia like why is this who I am and then from there it was um I was, I was during the Blink Light too. I was really into Good Charlotte. I know you love Good Charlotte. I love so, Good Charlotte. Yeah, Good back Charlotte in the was day, the. Man. I went on the good to the Good Morning Revival tour. That was the. Second, Did you go? Yeah, that was the that, second that... concert. And the bassist in Brisbane broke his ankle live during the second song of the set, and he left because he had to go to the hospital. And so Benji and Joel did an acoustic set and they played all the B-sides and random oddities from all the songs. Like they did the Proclamation, you know that one? Oh, it's off the early albums. No, I didn't listen to the early stuff. Yeah. I did Good Morning Revival, that was my jam. Yeah, yeah. And then that was my jam. he came back with a cast around his foot and they did all the bangers. Um, I think that, and then they from there, they only had like 40 minutes left. So they just did all the big songs in a row. So they were like the river, the anthem, lifestyles, the rich and the famous. Oh, Girls was, and boys. Yeah, that was yeah. a great song. That's great, so great cool, concert. man. And then recently I've been getting getting into Brit rock. So my my jam for the last like three, four years has been Blur, Oasis, uh, that whole enemy kind of genre. So I can pinpoint my life by 
the bands I was into at the time. That's pretty cool. I uh, I noticed that there is a thread of sort of as your styles change, you still tend to keep a little bit of what you previously yeah. enjoyed. So it was always, you never deviated too incredibly powerfully. Mm. Now, the reason I say this is because I, I used to listen to metal yeah. when I was a kid. I used to listen to Bullet for My Valentine and Slipknot <laughs> and stuff like that. And if I listen to that now, I, I feel like an old man because I just think, oh, it's just noise. And then I sort of went into that into that typical teenage boy phase where it was Blink-182, Good Charlotte, Linkin Park, the same as yours. Yeah. And uh, just like everything that just felt so alive and youthful, like Simple Plan, mm. that sort of crap. And uh, then as I, as I got older, I, I sort of kept on to that. I wonder if it's just a case of the bands themselves have changed. I mean, Blink-182 is a totally different band now. Yeah. It's got Mark Hoppus, Travis Bach, and uh, Matthew Skiba. Yeah. I don't I don't like the new Blink. So when I don't listen to Blink mm. anymore, I wonder if it's just a case of has my music styles changed that much or if it's just a case of I'm romanticizing how good they used to be so I don't really mm. tend to even give the new stuff too much of a chance. But I do, I do. I, I just don't like it. Now, I love things like Post Malone. Yeah. I love Post Malone. St. John, Tudor Cinema Club, A Day to Remember. So it's still super varied. My style is crazy, crazy varied. Um but I, uh, I think I've sort of changed a little bit as well. It's interesting what you said there. I think if I was, I was just thinking of the reasons why I got into these different bands. And usually it's because they've released just the best album ever. And I'll like kind of ride the wave. So uh, like with Good Charlotte, they just released Good Morning Revival. And then my <laughs> there was one little bit of my musical history, which is an outlier, which was I was at a time into real folky Oz kind of blues and roots music like John Butler Trio or Angus and Julie Stone or Xavier Rudd. I grew up my dreadlocks at that stage. I think I've shown you the picture of when I've I had never my, seen your dreadlocks. Uh, yeah, yeah. When I was eighteen, I had dreadlocks down to my waist. I got slip, I got bleach blonde hair at the moment, but yeah, that was my outlier at the time. But I got into that music because he just released uh, April Uprising, which is I think is his best album. But then I kind of fall out of love with these bands when they don't release an, another album for four to five years. Or the worst thing ever is when you're into a band and they release an album and it sucks. Has that happened with you? Yeah, numerous times. I mean, Good Morning Revival is kind of the last big album of Good Charlotte. There's not they did I think they did one more. Yeah, they And then from the, there it's been like remixes and best ofs. Yeah, the, the the last one they released was um I don't have it. But I I to, I totally see what you're saying. Yeah. After that, but that that's the thing is every band has a bit of a lifespan. Yeah. Everybody, every single musician in the world has this period where they go through something incredible and then they just sort of cease. But Good Charlotte, a really, really good example. Uh, Youth Authority, that was their next one. So they went from Good Morning Revival. No, Cardiology. Did you listen to Cardiology? I didn't listen to anything of theirs it was after crap. Good Morning Revival. It was crap. It really was good. It, it, it really wasn't that good. It really sort of just tended, tended to kind of like fade away. And I think, you know, I think that is one of the reasons that My Chemical Romance broke up. Mm. So after they released the Black Parade, which was humongous, yeah, where do you go to from there? Exactly. Yeah. Then they 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 recorded um, Conventional Weapons, which was a series of EPs, two songs, five EPs. I hate when bands do that. It was and and yeah. it, it generally yeah, yeah. wasn't very good. So they wiped it. They eventually re-released those, 
and then they went to record Danger Days. Now, Danger Days was so vastly different from anything they had done before because they knew that they would not be able to repeat or better what they did with the mm. Black Parade because the Black Parade was a masterpiece of an album. And then they did something wildly different. It, it was well-received, but not as incredibly well. You know, they, t- they lost a lot of their old fans. Their old fans were like, oh, this is uh, way too quick and this is way too colorful and this is way too upbeat. This is bullshit. This isn't what we know. And they just split up. Mm. I've always, I don't know on what side of the fence I lie on with that argument because sometimes bands, their new album is just completely different from what they've done previously and you hate it. But at the same time, other bands have just been releasing the same album for 10 years (laughs) and it's just the same stuff every single time and that gets pretty tiring as well. So it's like one of my favourite artists is PJ Harvey and her albums, she's a bit of like a a female David Bowie, I suppose, where some of her albums are like glam rock and then she'll release almost like a alternative like just stripped back sad piano weird stuff and then she'll go and she'll do folk music and it's like every and then there's one album which has got like the drums are all kind of techno and rap bass um so i don't know where i lie with that for her it works but then for other bands something else comes in like i loved john butler trio's april uprising but then his next album was just like April Uprising Point Two, and it just didn't do it for me. And yeah. then the album after that is he did the same thing where the drums now were looped and on drum pads, and he tried to do something different, but that didn't hit for me either. Yeah, I I totally agree with what you're saying. Is sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, I think that there's a lot that goes into something like that. Maybe it's just the sort of following that you have with this artist. Do you appreciate? you know, what they've done because of what it's contributed to your life and you want it to stay the same or do you just enjoy hearing their voice or do you appreciate the musical talent? Because there's a couple of bands that have made that shift for me as well where it where it changed and sometimes it just didn't work. Have you heard of a band called Two Door Cinema Club? Yeah. If you look at their first album and you look at their last album, it's um, it's wildly different and they've uh, they're not doing that good mm. because people sort of sort of fell in love with them in the beginning. The same with Foster the People. Foster the People, their first album, was incredible. It was so detailed and unique and different. And then when they sort of tried to change what they were doing and try to make it more mainstream and shit like that, it just didn't work. Same with like Florence and the Machine. Yeah, what else have you heard about them? That first album, Lungs, one of the most worldwide, just she came out of the blue and suddenly everyone knew who she was. That, That album's massive. But then I got her second album and it was literally the exact same thing but without the spirit of the first album. Yeah. And then it just she's dropped off and she hasn't she hasn't really exist anymore really. That's why it's so tough, man. It's so tough to be able to kind of do something that you think is right because you're always going to be pissing somebody yeah. off. You there's there's always going to be somebody who wants you to stay the same and then you do stay the same and they go, mm. "Oh, but it's still it, it isn't the same." Or you're going to try and something different and some people are going to like it. And then the first people are going to go, oh, but it's totally different. I think just just don't 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 mm. fuck around with it, man. Just maybe, do, do what makes you happy. Maybe the solution is to do kind of what Damon Albarn's done where he was with Blur, which is like Brit Rock. And then he wanted to do something different. So he created a brand new band, named it Gorillaz. And now he does R&B, dance and techno and 
gets all these different featured artists on there. So maybe you can do have numerous bands on the numerous labels. Because there's I know that a lot of people absolutely love Gorillaz, but have no idea who Damon Albarn is and didn't even realise it's the same guy from Blur. <laughs> I didn't know it. Honestly, I only figured it out a week ago. Because yeah. you played me Rhinestone Eyes off of Plastic Beach. Yeah. And I, I love that song. I, I listened to it so much in the last couple of days. And then I was Googling. I was like, I wonder if this is off of Plastic Beach. Because I remember Plastic Beach being spoken about when it came out. But I wonder if it was a success. And I started reading about Gorillaz and you know how many members are in the band. And I was like, shit, but this guy's in Blur. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I, didn't, I had no idea. So sometimes I think if you do it right, I think you can comfortably make that transition. I like Blur. Do you like Blur? I like coffee and TV. I, I do love Blur. Uh, I love Oasis more. I'm an Oasis guy. Out of the two, there's the big rivalry. Are you Blur or are you Oasis? I, I would know. go Oasis because they released um, Roll With It and Blur released um, Park Life at the same time. And they released it on the same day. <laughs> and it was a massive, it was called the Battle of Britpop. And they could see which... Which band is is the most popular rock band in England? Didn't Kanye West do that with Fifty Cent? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Where Kanye West was releasing, uh, I think it was Graduation or something. Yeah. I don't know. And Fifty Cent was releasing both on the same day. Yeah. So, Blur won the single, and they got on. They got to be on top of the pops, and they wore Oasis t shirts live when they went on that show. Yeah. Um, but then. Uh, the album, when it came to releasing the album, Oasis uh, got more sales than Blur's album. So it's kind of like who won? Blur won the battle, but Oasis won the war. So it's interesting. I always thought I was Oasis, but when it comes to writing songs for the niche, some people have said that it's very similar to Blur, which I wasn't expecting. And I've never done that on purpose, but some people are like, oh, it's a bit like Blur. I don't know. Maybe it's because it's a bit more fun <laughs> oasis has got that baggy kind of british melancholy kind of rock sound whereas blur is a bit more upbeat so yeah i um i actually now that you mention it i think because people ask me they, they go what what sort of music do you make what sort of music does your band make and it's very hard for me to put it into words mm. so i think blur is a pretty good indication i think there's a new genre on the horizon called Ozpop, which <laughs> is kind of like Brit- five seconds of summer man it's like Britpop. But it's a bit more happy sounding. It's got that Australian enthusiasm. And I think DMAs is within that genre. And I think we'll be in that genre as well. Dude, Oz, if you say the word Ozpop, I think of bands like Five Seconds of Summer. You know who they are, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think of Oz Rock, which is yeah, like Oz Rock old, sounds better. crusty, triple M, Bogan music. Like oh, okay. Cold Chisel and ACDC. <laughs> Maybe there's a better name for it. Yeah. But I can see it happen, man, because Australia does have a very specific, I would say, feel. It sounds very you organic. Say, you said that um, Fake Friends had almost like a surf vibe. To, was that you that said it was yes. surfy? Yeah, uh, 100%. Because Australian music has this, the best word that I can use to describe it is organic. It sounds very down to earth, mm. organic. Uh, speaks for itself, which I, and I sound so pretentious when I say these words, but it does. If I hear a really good Australian song, it just feels like it was written by a dude in, uh, like in 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 a room with this with his mates. If I listen to LSD from Skeks, if I listen to that, it just sounds to me like 
it wasn't written in a recording studio with seven producers standing yeah. around them. It sounds like it was natural, organic, and real. And I think yeah. there's so much of Australian music that, that does that. Mm. I really, really do. If, if I look at Angus and Julia Stone, I've only listened to Big Jet Plane and Grizzly Bear. Yeah. But both of those have the exact same feeling. I agree. I, I don't think we have that Hollywood mega pop star diva level that England and America have. It just doesn't exist here. Like you would never get a Katy Perry or an Ariana Grande come from Australia. Most Aussie bands uh, have worked their way up the organic way where they were playing in pubs and they just got a big break. Whereas Aussie, Aussie Ameri- uh, American and British bands, they some of them have been all like fabricated by record labels to be popular like they get hand-picked like a one direction or a ariana yeah you know whereas aussie bands except for maybe kylie minogue we don't have those massive pop star level divas they're usually just a bunch of lads (laughs) whether it be Powderfinger, silver chair acdc cold chisel dmas you know these bands they're usually just a bunch of lads who have just put together something and it just it's caught the zeitgeist and people just fall in love with it. Yeah, 100%. And the thing is, even if you mention something like Kylie Minogue, I mean, she went to London. or She went mm. to the United Kingdom to sort of make it bigger than yeah. what she was here. And you're totally right. I think that there's a lack of sort of corporate involvement when it comes to making music here. If you want to make good music here, you do it yourself. Yeah. And if it works, it works. You're not going to have a, gr- a room full of people trying to tell you, according to market trends, what sounds good and what doesn't sound good. <laughs> no. You know what? Five Seconds of Summer does kind of sound a little bit like that to me. Yeah. You know, because it does sound like it's just like four pretty boys who just looks to me like they were handpicked and they're making music that people know can be played on the radio. It does translate to success, so God bless them. I'd say they're more popular overseas than they are here, though. Are they? I'd say so. There's some bands that are Australian, but... They just hit it big in other countries. Like Pink. Pink is nothing in America. No one cares about Pink, but she's just hit the Australian culture. And in here, she's like one of the biggest female acts. She did like eight shows in a row, sold out shows in Brisbane on her last tour. Because people love it. In America, she's nothing. You know what? If you talk about Pink, I worked with a girl who was a bartender on those Pink shows. Yeah. A couple of years ago. And Pink, I mean, it's, uh, you know, people have probably heard these before, but if you work on Pink's concert, you are not allowed to talk or you're not allowed to talk when she is close by. So if she's in the same room and you're in this room, you're not allowed to say a word and you have to keep your head down the whole time Man. until somebody says to you, okay, guys, she's gone. That's interesting because she's got this reputation of being just like you. you know, she's not. She's got this kind of, that's why I think she, all the... Uh, Aussie Bogans in Australia love that kind of, <laughs> she's just like me. I she's can be a, like her. She's a strong, independent woman. All that type of stuff. <laughs> I um, can be like her. Yeah, yeah. Into monster energy drinks and BMX and stuff like that. <laughs> um, no, but, but she's not. She's, she's definitely not. No, that's interesting. Because I think if that got out, it would be, she would hit a bit of like an Ellen DeGeneres kind of thing where people would just suddenly turn on her. That was wild. Eh? Ellen, Ellen went from being... <laughs> I never know. got behind the Ellen train. No, th- I could, there was always something about her that I was like, mm, there's just something not genuine about this woman. So when that came out, I was like, yeah, that's probably why I yeah. had 
bad feelings. Well, when I was a kid, I, I thought she was awesome. I really did. And until I got old and I started realizing the same as what you did. It's yeah. like, something's not right about Ellen. Ellen's a little bit funny. Um, so I can totally see. Do you think we'll be like that once we're rich and famous? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think people are going like, to realize with At the moment, I'm like, if I got big, I would go out and get my own lunch. And I'd be like, don't worry about a rider, guys. I'm just going to go get a happy meal. I'm going to bring my own block of chocolate. Don't you don't I'm just get me just some white towels and a bottle of water. It's okay. I'm the same. But then like in five years I'm gonna be like, No, I want a thousand green Skittles <laughs> in a brandy glass. Like, <laughs> what like at what stage does it get to that? Or are there some bands that are just normal? Like if you hired if you were doing the rider for A C D C for example, I wonder what they would be like. Whether they'll just be like, nah, it's right, just get us some beers and drinks or whatever. I, I totally think that that must be an incredible thing to find out. Yeah. According to how many bands are actually cool, how many bands are dicks, and then in between. Yeah. I think that there's so many factors that influences it. I think that a large portion of it is just people blowing smoke up your ass and yeah. telling you how amazing you are and that you can demand these things. We'll have to wait and see because it's going to happen and we'll have to find out you know, <laughs> yeah. how much of a dick we all are. But I think I'd have fun with it, man. I think I'd have fun. I'd ask him to get like weird stuff. <laughs> I'd be like, I want to. I, I, at every concert, I, 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 I'd, I'd do something different, just like what I feel like that day. I'd go, okay, I want a bag of chicken feathers. That's it. <laughs> it. It doesn't matter where you get it from. I just want a nice old, like, garbage bag or a garbage bag full of popcorn, and I won't touch it. I and then would you be like, day. sniff it and be like, these are duck feathers? Throw <laughs> yeah, in his face. Hundred percent. I just would do weird shit like put on a hat. And glasses and then like go out into the audience and just see what, like hear what people are saying. That'd be cool, hey? And then be like, it's actually me. Like, <laughs> oh shit. Oh, it's the guy. Yeah, yeah. The guy here to, here to come and see. <laughs> oh man, it must be so, it must be so cool. That's why I also like to watch um, sort of big artist documentaries that they fund themselves and they do stuff like that themselves. Yeah, there's like this Oasis documentary. Where it's not even about the concerts, it's about them back, backstage. Dude, that's so cool. If you find that, if you find that, send it to me. I I'd love it to because watch they're it. they're playing. You know that game Trouble. I think it's called Frustration as well. Where there's like, it's kind of like checkers. Where there's the 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 bubble with the dice in it, and you click it, and it changes the dice, and you move around. They play that. That's all they do. Like you think Oasis are gonna be like these mega rock stars trashing hotel rooms. They're in they're in the back playing <laughs> Trouble. That's cool. And then. They're just talking absolute crap, but then they're just walking down these set of stairs, and then you realize they're walking to stage for the for the sold out stadium tour. And just before they were just screwing around, and there's this amazing moment where they're walking down the steps, and you can exactly tell the moment where they become visible on stage because they're just chatting crap, and then suddenly it's just, Wah! and you're just like, oh my god! Like, and so for them that whole process has just been completely normalized. That's really cool. I honestly, I love stuff like that. Kings of Leon released a documentary called Talahina Sky, which follow, which sort of followed the same procedure where it was not, it had nothing to do with the concerts. At the end, they played one song, just mm. acoustically. But the whole documentary was about them, where they sort of came from as kids because they grew up in this really tiny rural uh town thing in a little community yeah in this little community called Talahina and it's just these four dudes that were just just normal nobodies 
that used to go to church all the time with their parents and then they just started playing music together and the music and their talent was just so good but behind all that they just they just they're just dudes you know yeah. it's just so cool man i want to i want to experience that anyway listen man we have been talking for uh, almost an hour man it doesn't feel like that yeah so uh, i'm going to i'm i think we're going to finish it off here i didn't ask you one of the questions that i wanted to but it's cool we'll be able to oh. sort of follow that up next time yeah hear me out next time yeah Cool, man. Uh, lastly, before I go, I just wanted to ask you, did you watch the uh, the weekend Super Bowl concert? I've heard it was... What happened? There's, there's been controversy. I don't understand why people didn't dig it. So he pretty much... He's been preparing for it for so long and artists don't get paid for the Super Bowl show. They, oh. they don't... I also thought, you know, they must get a, a shit ton of money, but it's actually geared around exposure for them because it's, it's one of the highest watched pieces yeah. of media. It's uh, guaranteed at least 100 million eyes. Man. So people don't really pay. You know, people don't pay the artists. So they, they give them a $10 million production value budget. That is, you know, for the crew and for everybody. Right. And then for whatever they want for the props and stuff. But The weekend wanted more. So he put in $7 million of his own money for that 15-minute show. So people were expecting this extravaganza. Mm. He promised it to be this uh, movie-like experience that was going to be the best thing anybody had ever laid eyes on. And in the end, it was a concert, and it was a, it was a normal concert. I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool. I thought it was fun. I thought it was nice. But people, I think people just expected a little bit too much, and they just got slammed. People were like, oh, it's such bullshit. Can you believe he spent $7 million? He should have put it into public schools or some rubbish like yeah. that. And it just didn't do very well. I watched it at just you know just before I saw you today, and I kind of liked it. I don't know why people didn't dig it that much. Mm, I've I'm not on the weekend train. I know that he's every time that comes to some awards ceremony, everyone's like, "Oh, the weekend got snubbed. He should have got best man in the whole world. <laughs> you you know, got he should have got the second coming. coming of Jesus award." <laughs> but I just don't get it. To me, it just sounds like generic pop. Like, it's kind of like, it's not, it's good. I mean, it's better than majority of what else is on the radio. But I feel people, I just don't, uh, I don't get it. I, I know what you're saying. You know, he's, um, I, I think he's good. I think that, you know, it is quite copy and paste in some regards. I do think Blinding Lights is one of the best songs mm. just of the last two years. It's so catchy. It does stand out. You know, and, and every I think I think there will always in every sort of cultural space there'll always be a spot to fill for somebody, and the weekend just fills a particular spot. You know, I mean, he's, you know, he makes some some songs that are really good, and he makes some songs that are really crap. Mm. You know, I don't think he's as amazing. I don't think he's the most incredible musician that's ever that, that that's ever appeared. But it's just the day. It's just the it's the, it's the day that we live in today, where you pump out two good songs, and then yeah. that's it, man. You got it made. Yeah. If I think about, um, let's think, who can, I, who can I mention? I don't want to say Foster the People, but technically Foster the People. They had pumped up kicks. Yeah, they're basically a one-hit wonder. Exactly. They had pumped up kicks, and that, that song literally skyrocketed them to such an extent that they were able to sort of release anything, and it would mm. make some sort of an effect. And after that, they, they, they started releasing you know, the second album, Supermodel, and the third album, and um sacred hearts club and it was crap it was genuinely bad and this is coming from somebody who bought their first album and it was amazing i couldn't wait for the second album and it was just it was just pure uh, pure shit but that's the thing is um 
I wanted to say pua, but then I said pure, so I followed up with shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing is in today's culture, you just got to release one good song, yeah. you know, follow it up with something that's half decent, and you can literally tour until the day that you die. Yeah. No jokes, man. Tell me I'm wrong. I think you're exactly right. I mean, there's some artists that are released one album in the 80s, one album in the 90s, and they're still like a. As much as I love Oasis and they're my favorite band in the world, they've only got two good albums. And then all the other things they've done, they've got maybe one good song on them. And then their last two, I just, I don't even listen to them. You know what? And they're still held as like one of the most important bands in history. Yeah. I think that is because, as you just said, because of the time. You know, there wasn't a lot of music back then as there is now. So, you know, if you did something relatively important, it sort of tenfolded your worth. Uh, I noticed uh, you've heard of a band called Led Zeppelin, right? Yeah, of course. Is it Led Zeppelin? They'd be top five bands ever. Really? I've never listened to any of their music, but they used to have a seven four seven, a plane. Mm. They used to have a huge, not a not a private jet, not a commercial liner. They used to have a full on seven four seven, huge industrial sized airplane. And I just think to myself, you know, by no means from what I can tell, was Led Zeppelin this groundbreaking Beatles level of musicians. And I could be wrong. I haven't listened to them. But I just think about how much music, how much money you used to be able to make in the music industry <laughs> yeah. compared to what you do now. I mean, with Led Zeppelin, a lot of people hold them as um, top five bands ever. And they do have a lot of good songs. They're not my cup of tea. But yeah, I mean... Uh, some these days in the modern world you don't even have to have a good song (laughs) so what I was saying before so just for the benefit of the audience we're taking a break now between when I was last speaking and now we are joined by the other members of the band Liam on bass hello and Elliot on lead guitar hey guys what they were they were having a laugh at what I was just saying but they didn't get a chance for me to finish my point what I was saying (laughs) before I was rudely interrupted, was that in the modern world, there's so much you can do to get your name out there and record labels have can push people and manufacture people out of nothing. That there are some people that are incredibly influential in the music industry that don't even necessarily have like massive iconic songs. Like Ariana Grande, for example. She's one of the biggest female acts in the world. Yet, music-wise, I can maybe name one or two of her songs. And even then, they're not, like, getting played all the time. That was the point that I was making. Do you know how much Ariana Grande charges per concert? How much? So, as an example, The weekend will charge about a million dollars. Post Malone will charge about a million dollars. Justin Bieber will charge about 1.5 million per concert. Yeah. Ariana Grande charges 2.5 million. <sighs> Would you take out a loan Whoa. to get her on something and then just make your money back through ticket sales though yeah i well, i'm sure that 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 probably hasn't caught on because it probably doesn't work that's what they do yeah is it because yeah. if you don't make money through ticket sales no. that's why the festivals have died out yeah people stop going if i was really rich i'd get ariana grande to like perform in my kitchen <laughs> yeah like full-on massive just concert. making sandwiches uh-huh. yeah, while, well, yeah while, I'm, while i'm cooking something like, come yeah, on yeah, yeah. <laughs> There is that song she has about switching up positions. 
switching my positions with you. And it's just, I'm in the bedroom or I'm in the kitchen. And she had a go at <laughs> all the feminists had a go at her saying like, is that literally the only two rooms you're in? No, you're thinking the 34, 35, 69 song. Yeah. 34 plus 35, 69. Oh yeah. Is that, oh, her is that as what well? it is? Yeah. yeah. Julie Sucks. is good though. Julie, sexy. Julie, Listen to the lyrics. Should be ashamed of so, so sexy. Chris. So yeah, we had a, we had a, a bad we had a bad practice today. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. Um, yeah, did, 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 did you guys enjoy it? Yeah, it was good. Oh, sorry. I was rusty. Yeah. I was rusty. It's when you're. You, you I, are I really. Rusty. I mean, you I've got rusty. the hardest job to be fair of the four of us. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're being humble about it. <laughs> it's just uh, when you're. Uh, I am being facetious, but what I'm saying is uh, when you take break, well, so we haven't jammed in maybe three weeks, yeah, and it's when you're trying to remember the guitar and the lyrics at the same time, man, I screwed up so much today, I just could not remember the lyrics for the life of me, for like, songs we've played probably thousands of times, it just got to the second verse and I'm just like, what, eh? Oh, God. Well, you know what? Going off of that, if you guys wouldn't mind me asking. So I had a list of questions that I wanted to ask Liam, but I never got around to it. So I'm going to ask each of you the same thing. It's, it's just it's just one, but I wanted to know if you guys had ever performed before, like in front of a in front of a crowd. If so, what was the, what was the best and the worst Ooh. gig you've ever had? First gig I ever played was a house party. <laughs> and that was also the last gig I ever played. <laughs> so... Nice. You can judge. Was there a lot of people there? It went well. Uh, there was twenty people. Hell yeah! That's yeah, that's more than huge. show up at my funeral. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that. brutal. So uh, yeah, that was the only gig we've played so far. There was a gig that I played. Um, there's a place in Brisbane that's uh, community run, and it's the the bottom of a Queenslander has just been converted into a, a venue, so it's like the basement basically, and they don't help out in any way and they don't keep it clean or anything, but it's basically free to rent and it's just in the middle of Highgate Hill, which is like a real suburban kind of area. You know what? That might have been where I played that gig. Yeah, maybe. It was, it was underneath the Queensland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, <laughs> it's very rustic. In yep. the middle of my set, as I'm getting to this really deep part of the song, a cat jumps at my face <laughs> from upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> jumps over my guitar and I'm trying to keep going and the reason why it jumped straight at me was that it was being chased by like an 80 kilogram fat Labrador and the Labrador <laughs> goes through hits the jump set everything is just chaos <laughs> that so sounds my, like something out of a movie I know so my yeah. it was fun but also my worst gig was interrupted by literally a cat and a dog how many people were there? Um, I got like 52 54 which was because I I combined it with some Brisbane Fringe Festival kind of thing that was happening there. So those were the best gigs because it's it's a dingy, dusty, pretty horrible venue. But when there's a lot of people packed in there, it's very, very fun. Liam, you've got more gigging experience than any of us. Yeah. You would have had some highs and lows, surely. I'd say my worst one was probably my second gig as a, in a covers band. Um, I got cocky. And had a few too many drinks and just messed up way too much. So I learned that lesson. Best one, there's probably a couple. Um, 
You talking about like in terms of size of a gig or like? Yeah, I, I I guess just kind of like one that was so cool. It's it's if you had to die tomorrow, it would be the best gig you ever played. Oh, Auckland Town Hall. That'd be pretty big, wouldn't it? Like five thousand. Oh, you played in front of five thousand people. Yeah. Shit, what was that like? Scary. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> that must have been incredible. It's a lot of people. Because Liam and I were talking about it today, about what it must feel like to play in front of a large group of people. I mean, I've never played a single gig. and um, It's fun. Yeah, I mean, I would even oh. like to play in front of three people if I could, you know. Mm. So I played in front of zero are... people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was at this, this venue, the West End Music Cafe. It doesn't exist anymore for good reason, because no one ever went there. And they paid me in a lunch, a, a chicken parmy <laughs> and a, a, a beer. This is what I got paid. And I was playing to an empty cafe. There was no one there except the bar staff. And then the bar staff went to go take the bins out. I was literally playing to an empty venue. No one was there. Oh. How is that not your worst gig? Yeah. Because <laughs> at least I could kind of just vibe on my own. <laughs> oh, there was... I did... Um, oh, man. Okay. So, I my family was on a holiday to Fremantle. And I thought that... I could get some gigs in at the same time. So I signed up for this open mic night in Frio and I brought all my gear. So, so you, can, went on, you went on tour? I went on tour in <laughs> Perth, yeah, yeah. Right. And I did an open mic and it was in this, basically the, the equivalent of like the Tivoli, like a pretty medium, large sized venue. So I thought, oh man, this is going to be like, maybe it's like a cult thing and like all the artists go there. I'm going to be like packed, playing like to a packed thing. And then there was a guy up there sound checking and it was just me and him. And he was like sound checking, getting it right. And then he went, hey guys, thanks for coming out. And I'm like, oh no, he's the first <laughs> act. He's not sound checking. And I was just in this empty venue. And and your parents didn't even go? They rocked up later. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> and there was a, band, a full band in there called My First... Oh, I probably shouldn't say their band name. Because nah. they were really bad. And they took like 45... Forty yeah, it was. It was they took like forty five minutes to set up and they just sounded horrible. And they did this song about a rat in a kitchen and it was like this little ditty. And then the next one this guy's like, Okay, that was our song about uh, little mouse in the corner. The next one's one of my songs called The Devil Came to Town and he just starts this like heavy metal like, Rah! The Devil The Devil and I was like, What is going on? And he did this song called Ode to Ray Charles where he put one finger on the lowest key of the piano on the high, and then the other finger on the highest, and then this went in every four beats. <laughs> that was his ode to Ray Charles, and it was the most. You're kind of selling them to me. <laughs> and then on the way home, um, we had the the plane home in the morning, so I detuned my guitar so the the strings were relaxed because yeah, yeah, of the pressure. So my guitar was like, okay, that was a horrible gig. Detune it, put it my guitar under my feet. And then we go on home on the train and it goes through their party district and all these people high off their face come into the train and they look and, they, and this oh, guy's no. kind of like this. He's like falling back and forth and he leans over me and then he looks down at my feet and sees my <laughs> guitar. And this is a packed train. He's like, you playing that? <laughs> You playing guitar, bro? And I'm like, yeah, I was just playing in free. I was like, oh, that's sick, bro. And he turns around and goes, hey, everyone on this train, 
This guy's got a guitar. Who wants to hear this guy play a song? <laughs> and the whole train goes, yeah! like hundreds of people. And I'm like, no, no, no it's detuned. It's, I can't do it. And then he's like, no, come on, man. And then he gets a chant going, play a song, play a song. There's people like rocking the train back and forth. They're just surrounding me like a nightmare. Eventually, I'm like, I'm thinking of how can I do this? Do I get my tuner out? Do I get it back up? <laughs> what do I do? I'm gonna get like a riot. If I, and I'm like, what song do I play? And so, just as they are literally about to start a riot, my station comes. I just grab my guitar, get it, and, and all these drunk people, ah, oh, you should have played a song. You should have. I'm like, sorry, sorry. I just push through, man. So, I suppose if. You class that as a gig? Oh, dude. That was one That's of my a worst nightmare. gigs. Oh, dude, actually nightmare. sounds like a nightmare. That's one of the funniest stories I've ever heard. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I can just see it happen, man. You're just minding your own business. <laughs> These dudes, come on. Oh, man, that's pretty funny. Alrighty, guys. So, uh, yeah, basically, we're going to pop up from time to time. I imagine Liam and Elliot are going to pop up from time to time as well. I'll be here. And, uh, I'll be here sometimes. It was really good. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for having us. Liam, thank you so much for helping me as well. No problems. I'll see you next time, next episode. Thanks, guys.